special guest, Crystal Forrest. Um, he's from my hometown, Rochester, New York, and he's in the residential contracting industry. Um, how are you doing today, Chris? Fantastic. I bet, I bet you say everybody's special, don't you? <laughs> everybody's a special I, guest. <laughs> everyone's a special guest, but you're a very, very special guest because, <laughs> you know, you've mentored me over the years, which has helped me tremendously. Um, and, you know, one of the things that you taught me was the importance of soft skills, the importance of communication. And, you know, I just was a young man searching for a purpose when you first yes. met me. Yes. <laughs> and yes. You've guided, you know, you've, you've guided me over the last, I think, what, four years or so? Uh, or more at this point, something like that. Um, but when it comes to soft skills, why is that so important? Um, why is that so important when it comes to work, business, professional? Why, why is that so important? You know, what's really funny is, um, so just to address it, yes, uh, professionally, my primary source of income is residential contracting, home improvements, roofing, siding, windows, gutters, attic, insulation, kitchen, flooring, bath, sunrooms, decks, and more, all that stuff. Um, but I'm also a soft skills trainer in the uh, wintertime when home improvements are not so prevalent. And I get asked that question a lot by companies because companies, they want, their, they want their people to know hard skills. They want their people to know how to use Microsoft Office, PowerPoint, Excel. They want, they want their people to get the latest training on repairing the, the photocopiers or whatever, the, whatever their business is. They care more about the hard skills than the soft skills. Right. And the soft skills, communication, time management, goal mastery, uh, leadership, those are the skills that don't have an end product. Those are the skills that uh, you can't measure them. You can't deliver an Excel spreadsheet with communication, <laughs> this nebulous right. you know, ability that we have. Right. And when I'm pitching, hey, I want to train your folks, you will have results after I'm done training them. They're like, yeah, but how do you know? Uh, and this is the funny part. You asked why are soft skills important? What's, what makes them critical? Well, if you think about it, the, the highest compensated people in the world are masters of soft skills, communication. Can you put quote unquote communication into an Excel spreadsheet or a physical box? No. No. But the highly, most highly compensated people are good at communicating, leadership, time management, goal mastery. All those are soft skills. They are not uh, measurable. It's kind of like the hard and soft sciences, chemistry, mathematics, physics. Those are hard sciences that, that have measurable results, and we can employ those sciences to design things or invent things. The soft sciences, like psychology, like um, anthropology, sociology, they're vague and nebulous. But those who have a mastery of psychology and sociology and an understanding of the human condition have massive control over the human condition. And that's why soft skills are so important. They're just like the soft sciences. 
they're, they're, they're hard to grasp and put into a box, but if you can grasp them, it's so much more powerful to, to reaching goals, especially in terms of business and entrepreneurship and to put it bluntly, money, because that's what business is. Someone else's money. Yeah. <laughs> gotta get that, gotta get that money. Gotta get that money. Take. <laughs> you know, I feel one of the things that's not talked about enough, and you mentioned it, was time mastery. Yeah, time management. Uh, time management. Um, a lot of people may, a lot of people may, you know, words like procrastination or like you said, there's goals or there's deadlines. Um, but time management, I feel is very crucial, especially when you're in the management position or you're running a company. Um, what, what recommendations would you have for someone like to when it comes to time management? Oh, so the two things that I hit hard, especially when it comes to uh, independent agents. So I do a lot of classes for like real estate agents and insurance agents and you know, independent agents that really you are compensated by how much work you do. So yeah, this worship <laughs> as well. Um, the, the number one thing is prioritization, knowing what's important, it, it, knowing what's important uh, and, and identifying that correctly is critical to time management. And second is uh, decisive action. So it doesn't sound like it has anything to do with time management, but it's actually, I would say, second only to identifying what priorities you need to have is taking decisive action. So many people will think to themselves, oh, I need to do that. Well, let me ask you, when's the best time to do something? Right now. Right now, literally right now. And too many people say, well, you know, I need to finish this and, you know, I need to think about it longer. And no, 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 no. If you prioritize and you've said, this is the most important thing that I need to accomplish and you've properly prioritized. And then you think, here's what I can do to move that very important thing along. There is no excuse. There is no reasoning. There's no logical argument that you can give that's going to convince me that now is not the best time to do that most important thing. If now is not the most important, the time to do the most important thing, then it's not the most important thing. Definitionally. So if you can prioritize properly and then take decisive action, when I say decisive, I mean in the way that Tony Robbins talks about it, to decide to cut off from something else, to take a slice of that important, that important identified priority and, and slice, off, slice off a chunk of it and put it in the done pile. That's what decide means, to decisive action, take action and don't think, don't decide to do something, decide then do something. Uh, those two things alone will uh, get you much greater command over your time. Uh, well, just time as a whole. Um, are you familiar with the uh, the the five second rule uh, that Mel Robbins puts out? Um, no, I, I haven't heard of that. I uh, Mel, Mel Robbins is a uh, well. Right now, she's kind of a. Um, uh, like a motivational speaker, as it were. And she had a severe issue with procrastination. She tells the story wonderfully. Just look her up, Mel Robbins on YouTube. She tells it very, very okay. well. How as she was trying to overcome her procrastination or what she said was procrastination, uh, it took her a long time. But the thing that she did, she gave herself five seconds. Five seconds. As soon as an idea pops into your head, you have five seconds to take an action. That's it. Oh, you know what I should do? I should, I should do that. Five 
four, three, two, one. If you haven't taken an action. You're not gonna do it. You're done, <laughs> yeah, you're done for another yeah, day. Yeah. Right. But if you take an action, any action at all, uh, you know, I should really work on that marketing package. Five, four, three, pick up the phone and call. P take out a pad of paper and write something down. Write down some brainstorm, something. Take an action related to that thought within five seconds and you're already 10 times ahead of everyone else. Yeah. That's, de that's decisive action. And that's very practical, especially if someone's an entrepreneur, business owner. Um, they can take action. One of the things that popped in my mind as you were talking about that is if someone's in entry level, or in even if they're a manager, but they report to a director, they may want to take a decisive action, but then they may feel, oh, I need approval though. You know, so certain things they may be like, okay, I'm going to take decisive action on this. But then in some companies, there may be a, okay, there's something I want to do, but let me get, let me get approval first. Yeah. You know, so what do you think can help in those situations where someone's entry level or manager, they report to someone, how do they balance the need of, okay, when do I ask for approval or when I just, when do I just do it? So uh, or does that relate to a company culture? Yeah, that's that's a culture. That's a mindset. That, that's very little to do with time management. That's focus. That's, uh, you know, are you are you working for yourself or are you working for the company? And you can you can work for yourself within a company. I think you talk about it. Intrapreneurship is the word you use. Um, right. it, it's you're working for yourself. You are a self contained individual within a company. And I think that, that is, by the way, uh, I haven't heard anyone else using that phraseology. That is a fantastic word. Uh, I don't know if you're still using that, but I love that word. Yeah. <laughs> and it is so important to know whether you're working for yourself or working for somebody else. And that has nothing to do with time management. If you, if you have an idea that you know is effective, it's, you know it's going to help, you know it's a positive step forward, give me a reason why, why your management wouldn't be like, wow, that was good, good job. There's yeah. no reason to not take an action that you know. And here's the thing. If it's not a good action, you made a mistake. Learn, move on. So always, exactly. take, my opinion is always take action. Yeah, you know, that's the thing about my style is, yes, I'm, I'm coachable, I'm trainable. But my thing is when it comes to my work style, I definitely push the envelope. I don't, I don't necessarily always seek, oh, I need permission, I need permission, I need permission. My style is, like you said, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness later. Like, you're not screwed up, you know? Um, I, I, always say I know my limits. I know my limits, though. It's not like I'm always going to push the envelope. But if I'm really like, I know this would be helpful and beneficial, I just go for it. It's, it's personal conviction, yeah. If, if you know it's going to be helpful, if you know it's going to help and, and be a good thing for you and the person you're working with or for or in or wherever you are, why would you not do something? If you don't have that conviction... That's okay. Like, if you just have an idea where you're like, I think this would be a good idea, but, you know, I don't have permission. I'm going to send an email and stuff, but you just know it's the right thing. Always do the right thing. 
But if you don't feel it's the right thing, yeah, yeah, get permission. Ask somebody who has more knowledge than you, sure. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about decisive action, something that you know is the right thing to do, that you should be doing quickly and effectively because you've prioritized and you take decisive action, right? <laughs> that's the goal. Now, let's say someone, you know, they're maybe, because, you know, about 30 million people are unemployed. Yeah. Um, and statistics are showing that the gig economy is rising right now. So you have uh, an article that talks about starting a business with no money. So let's just say someone recently lost their job and they're like, you know, I want to start a business or I want to do a freelance type of thing. Um, what, what advice would you have for them? What, what, what do you think yeah. can help someone? So first off, um, mindset, 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 mindset. We form our own prisons. We are our own captors and jailers all the time. It, 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 it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. In the first world, by the way, I'm not talking about the unfortunate folks who are in, in terrible situations. I'm talking like in, in Western New York, you know, like there, there's opportunity everywhere. Mindset first. So right. my, my, the first thing I would identify is say, hey, look, sucks you lost your job. You depended on it. Uh, and people are going to have to work through that emotionally first. Regardless of how much opportunity you and I, we kind of see the world in a different way. We see opportunities. We see hardship as just one of the things that life has to offer, not as an obstacle. Like, so, so we see the world differently. But a lot of those 30 million people that lost their jobs or don't have jobs um, or are currently struggling with this pandemic and these types of things, they don't have that mindset yet. So the first thing I would encourage those folks to do, or even if they're just thinking about it, like, how could I make some money on the side? How could I do something? You got to wrap your mind around the idea of, Hardship is just what life has to offer. Failure is a part of success. And, and it's just got to get your head in the right space. That, that kind of falls into that soft skill, right? That's, that's yeah. one of the soft things that's undefinable and you have to move forward with it. Now, I think what you were really asking was what's the hard skill? Like what's the thing that you can put in place? What are some actions you can take that could actually start earning money? Uh, the, the first thing that I would uh, recommend is getting customers. And I know that sounds strange, but you have to know what people want. Like, what do people want? Look around. What are people paying for? Um, one of my favorite things is the online opportunities. A lot of big talking heads, way, 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 way bigger than us. Uh, you know, like Gary Vee, he talks about this all the time. Like, it's not hard to just start a website on Facebook, absolutely free, get some clip art of a t-shirt or a slogan, absolutely free, create a Spotify uh, or, or Shopify uh, um, uh, platform absolutely free. Come up with a cool slogan that you like, put it on a t-shirt that you haven't bought yet and just start promoting it. Start selling. Anybody want to buy this t-shirt for 20 bucks? And that sounds like you're not going to make a lot of money on selling t-shirts with a funky slogan on it. Right. Especially when you right. don't have marketing and, and advertising to get it in front of people, but you know what you're doing? You're learning how to get out there. You're learning how to create an online shopping platform. You're learning how to accept money from people. It's, that's the most important part of side gigs. You, you, I've said this to you a dozen times, if not a hundred, it's not a matter of making the money. It's a matter of learning how to make the money. Start 
any darn thing right now. <laughs> Just start. Knock on doors and say, uh, can, can I work for you for an hour in the bag? Who the heck are you? I, I, I just look, I just like to work for you. Just like we're talking hobo door knocking back in the, <laughs> not, you know, hi, my name's Jim. I'll do anything around your house for five bucks. You know, like that's how you start. Legitimately, it sounds kind of like, well, I could have told you that. Yeah, you could have. In fact, you already knew that's how you're supposed to start, but you didn't. Why not? Yeah, I think people get caught up in, you know, oh, I got to make a business plan or I got to do this or I got to do that. But like you said, it's what are people willing to pay for? Find out what are people buying? What are people? You know, what are like there's a there's a platform called Upwork. Yes. A lot of freelancer on there. Um, speaking of art, there's, uh, you know, websites where people, if they have photos on their phone that they've edited or whatever, they could put it up there and the website would do the back end where they'll ship, you know, like a frame with the picture and it'd be art sold and they get a cut, you get a cut. So it's like, like yeah. you said, there's so many online opportunities that people could do and it's the skill of earning money. It's not necessarily, Oh, what is this one idea that's going to make me $10,000 a month? You can't go from zero to, to 10,000 a month. You know, here's, it doesn't work like that always. Here's a thought that's often lost on people. Um, there's a number that most people feel really good about. It's the vaunted six-figure income, right? Like that, that's been that 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 uh, what's, what's what's that milestone in our culture for for decades. Six-figure income, right? right. Um, and the reality is, I can't remember who said it, but my my buddy he says it all the time. Anybody can earn six figures doing anything, anything, pick a thing. You can earn six figures doing it. You just have to figure out how, and you're not going to get there by just trying to figure, you know, do this. I, I need to build a business plan. I need to find, no, just start. Let me ask you, do some math real quick in your head. And anybody who's listening, do some math in your head. How many bottles would you have to return and how much effort would you have to put into it to earn $100,000 take home in one year doing cans and bottle returns? 20, is it 200,000 bottles? That's a dollar. It's five cents a bottle. 60. Whatever it is, divide that by how many days there are in the year, how many you're going to work. If you're working 250 days out of the year, divide that relatively evenly. Well, you have to return 60 bottles for a dollar. 20 bottles for a dollar. 20, yeah, yeah, $20, 20 bottles for a dollar to do 100,000, 20,000 bottles. Two million. Two million bottles? Oh, yeah. 100,000 times 10 is a million. Times 10 again is, or excuse me, times two is two million. So you got to return two million bottles. Divide that by 250. Strange exercise, I know. <laughs> you said divided by 250,000? No, just 250. 250 working days. That's, that's where I get the number 250. 800. 800. So 800 bottles. So you need to get roughly 800 bottles a day. Cans and bottles. 800 cans and bottles a day returned in order to get the amount of uh, uh, re re uh, ref deposit refunds to total $100,000 in a year.
that's $100,000 of revenue. It's not income, it's not net income, but it's revenue. So if you want income, you have to add another uh, 60% in order to get your net income. So now you need to return uh, 3.2 million. 3.2 million bottles in a year. Can it be done? It can be done, yeah. Absolutely it can be done, absolutely. Now get creative, how would you go about doing it? Well, the very first thing I need to do is start collecting bottles. The Boy Scouts do it. The soccer team does it. They just drive around in vans and knock on your door. Hey, Mr. Cans <laughs> of bottles you can get. Yes, absolutely. Now I don't have to return it. It's a, it's a pain in my butt. So they're doing it, but they're not monetizing it. Well, what if you took it one step further? Well, how do I grow? How do I get people to bring the bottles to me? I can't have a van that I'm going to drive around. On. Why do you think there's bottle redemption centers? Because right. there's money in it. You right. can do anything and get to a six-figure income. You just have to start doing that thing. Mowing lawns. There's, there's kids who are teenagers who are just pushing a lawnmower and knocking on their neighbor's doors making 15 bucks a pop, right? But then there's massive, massive landscaping companies that do weekly mowing. I pay someone to mow my lawn weekly. They show up, to lawn's mowed. So kid, kid with a push mower getting 15 bucks a pop or massive company with 30 people servicing all of Western New York. It's the same. Exactly. Business. Yeah. You know, like, um, there's certain people like, um, there might, they might do copywriting. Yes. You know, like I pay someone to do copywriting for the podcast. Then there's people out there is that like, uh, I know someone that just released the book. I think the, I think October 8th is the release, but it's like a pre-release. You can pre-order it. Uh, her name is Palpina Trip. It's a. It's called Video Smart. Uh huh. Twenty four ninety nine. You know she sells a certain amount. She can make a hundred thousand just off the book. Yeah. <laughs> just writing the book. You know what I mean? Not saying that she would, but like it could be done. Um. Yes, it, it can be done, and the big thing is understanding that it can be done. You're you're absolutely right. Like. I deal with my brother who has a defeated mindset. My brother is very defeated. He, he has- I have a cousin like that. And, and you know what I mean by defeated, right? You, you can immediately mm -hmm. picture, oh, I, it's over for me. I'm 40 years old and I can't, I'm already, it's, life is already done for me. And, and I'm never gonna be anywhere, never gonna have anything, never gonna get a decent job. Like they're defeated. And in their head, they don't accept that it can be done. They're literally repeating to themselves every single day, I'm never going to have anything that I want. Well, if you keep telling yourself that, of course you're not gonna have anything you want. I tell myself every single day, I am getting exactly what I want and everything that I have is what I deserve. If I want more and I deserve more, I need to do more. Like, that's what I say. So defeated mindset where you say it can't be done and you haven't accepted that it can, you never will. It'll never be done for you. You will never achieve uh, if you keep telling yourself that it can't be done. But if you tell yourself it can, well, that's the first step. Yeah, I, I have a cousin just like that. He's three months older than me. And um, when we were younger, we were very similar. But then once, once we got teenager and working and things of that nature, we, you know, he's just different. You know, he doesn't feel that he can accomplish what he puts his mind to. So he takes a very passive approach on whatever. And he might, he has tons of ideas, but I'm like, you just got to start doing them. <laughs> He's been procrastinating for the last seven, eight years. I'm like, bro, like we're not getting any younger. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we're not getting any younger. I love that phrase, by the way. Um, so, so, so here's the, here's the, here's the key to this entrepreneurship, this getting things done, this becoming successful. Um, the reality is we are told essentially a broad scope lie. Uh, by culture, by society, by movies, by Hollywood, by public education, we're told that one shot, you got one shot, mm. one good idea is going to be the thing that's going to make you a millionaire. No, the idea doesn't make you jack. The action spawned from the idea might, 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 might get you that dream, but it might not. The next idea might. The next idea might. The next, there, there's a 1% chance that every idea that you have is going to spawn any sort of success. 1%. And if you only go after the one because you you have one shot and that 1% doesn't pan out, you're done. But what if you keep trying and keep acting and keep moving and never stop and continue to pursue and continue to build and never stop trying? You cannot fail if you keep moving forward. And... The reason we feel this way, especially in the United States, especially, especially in our middle-class Western New York um, uh, lifestyle. I mean, both you and I came from very, very poor backgrounds. You, you grew up poor in the city. I grew up poor in the country. Two very diverse backgrounds. But the reality is, as poor as we thought we were living in Western New York, we actually had pretty decent lives. We really did. I was hungry. I was cold. You grew up hungry and cold. You grew up around, well, it's your story, so you can tell it if you want. But uh, it, we grew up in, quote, unquote, bad circumstances, both of us. But those circumstances also allow us to realize that life ain't that bad. Like, it yeah. can get worse. Like, yeah. <laughs> you make a mistake, you know? So what? There's, I have no problem being cold. I have no problem being hungry. So that fear of failure that, we, you, you, oh, you're going to lose your money. Oh, you're going to lose respect. <laughs> oh, so what? Right. But because the public education system says the final exam is coming, the final exam, and you get one shot. And if you don't pass, you're going to be held back. You're going to be punished. You're going to have to go to summer school. And it's like, it's, it's such a devastating feeling. For 13 years of your developmental life, you're told you got one shot to pass the final exam, and then everyone else gets to move on, and you have to stay behind if you don't pass. That's not the way life works. You have as many really shots not. as you want to take. So yeah. that 1% that every idea is going to turn into something good, well, what if you try 1,000 things? Well, odds are that, 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 that probability <laughs> is rising, well, isn't they, it? Exactly, exactly. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we definitely have similar backgrounds, like, just briefly, you know, like um, my stepdad went to prison for four years and that probably was the toughest financial time um, to the point where I like, even for the period of time, I didn't really get new school clothes for school, yeah. but I just put in the work those years to, you know, good, good grades and stuff like that. And that gave me perspective, like, we could, we could simplify, you know, I don't, I don't need all these things, but when it comes to professional settings, um, I don't know about you, but like, you just have an edge, like you, you want to grind the hustle to have a better life than you did in your childhood. Yes. Huge. Uh, I, I, 10 years ago, um, I really, really identified, this was in my twenties. I really identified personally, I 
never want to be poor again. And some people, you know, th there's, there's a rhetoric out there that, you know, money doesn't buy happiness and money can't be your only goal. And it's not all about the money. And I'm going to tell you right now, um, if that's your goal, if that's what's keeping you on the pathway to success and keeping you focused on becoming more uh, uh, affluent, then, then run with it. I, I get tired of people saying, no, it's not about the money. You can't focus on the money. If that's what keeps you going and that's keeping you on the, on the, on the good path, then focus on the money. I ran from poverty for four years. That was my only goal. I wasn't thinking about how I'm going to use my affluence to help more people. I wasn't thinking about how I wanted to, you know, change, change the world, at least in my small space for the better. I wasn't thinking about anything. I was running from poverty. I just didn't want to be where my dad was. I didn't want to be poor and cold and hungry and have shoes that were held together with duct tape. I didn't want to wear the same pants until they wore out and then I had to go to some thrift store and essentially steal them for, for 10 cents because that's all I, 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 I never wanted to be there again. I, w I was living off that drive. That was my motivation for like four years. It worked. It got the, it got the job done. It, it inspired me to work harder. And yes, eventually your purpose needs to shift to something greater. You can only run from something for so long. Right. Eventually it has to translate to a greater purpose. But if that's your purpose for now, just not being poor, and like you said, those 30 million people who are unemployed, they're scared, a lot of them. Some of them are just like, whatever, they're taking a quick vacation because <laughs> they know they got a job right around the corner. But many of them are scared. They're like, what are we going to do? If running from poverty is what's going to get you to, to take some action and, and take control of your situation, so be it. Run from poverty. Run towards wealth. Run towards the dollar. Yeah. I think what your, what your motive was or what your goal was was the raw truth, right? Yeah. It sounds good. Oh, I, I, I want to, I don't know, be a philanthropist or I want to open a uh, I want to open a hospital or I want to make a lot of money for, you know, a noble cause. But for your situation, it was raw truth. That was what, that's what you wanted. That's what your raw truth was. And I think a lot of people may think those raw truths, they don't want to accept those things. They rather say, oh, I want to make a lot of money to do something grand instead yeah. of I'm doing this for me. You know, or some people may say, oh, I, I just had a daughter. I want to do it to give her a better life, you know. Because yeah. um, that's what we're told we're supposed to do. We're told by society it's not about the money. you got to have some other thing other than money. It's got to be family. It's got to be for a greater good. It's got to be for humanity. And it's like, nope. Nope. I just want to make some cake. I got to make that bread. I got to be a millionaire. <laughs> make this bread. <laughs> that's it. Like, and yes, of course, once you start becoming more sophisticated, when I say sophisticated, I mean, you start broadening your scope of what you can do with money. Almost everybody's going to start thinking like, like when I started getting to a point where I was no longer running from poverty and I was like, wait, I got it. Like, I got it. I, I got the house in the suburbs. I got the toy car in the garage. I got the Corvette. I got the, uh, you know, I got the income. I got the house. I got the lawn. I got the vacations. Now I'm in that stable area where it's like, okay, I've run from poverty and I'm out of the woods. Now what? That's when you start going, okay, where, how can I spread this out? Then I started saying, okay, I want to retire my dad. 
I want to make sure my dad, because he gave everything as far as he knew how he sucked at it, but he gave everything that he had <laughs> to raise my brothers and myself. Um, so I want, I want to, I want to retire him. I want to make sure that when, when he's, I just don't want to work. It's like, don't worry. You don't have to, I got you. I want to do that for my mom, but I got that now. So how can I spread that even more? Well, now I want to help my brothers out and their families. And I want to spread it out even more. So, so it happens naturally if you keep pushing, but if it, it, it has to start with, with that, that preservation, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like if your shelter, food, and water are not covered, you can't psychologically progress to something like a greater society or God or anything else. You need food, water, shelter. And if right now you're one of the 30 million people who are unemployed and you can't afford to, you're worried about where the rent's coming from or food or even basic entertainment, which I think a lot of people gloss over. If you can't live life in a positive way with basic entertainment like internet or television, what's the point in living? You need basic entertainment. That is a necessity. And if you don't have those things and if you have to run from poverty in order to get them, so be it, use it. Then let yourself grow later. And it's, it's, it's a naturally occurring process. Grant Cardone talks about that. Grant Cardone is fantastic. Right now, he's about helping people and expanding and creating a legacy that can't be destroyed for his family and those he influences. But he'll tell you, he says all the time from stage, it started off, I want to be rich. I just want to be rich. Great. Roll with that. Yeah, you know, I use a term and then some people like it or rubs in the wrong way. I say selfishly unselfish. Yes. I, I've never heard it always, it, but I immediately identify with it. Yeah. Like for me, it's like whatever I do, even with the podcast, selfishly, I'm using it to build my own brand and a track record so that as I'm interviewing at companies and, it, you know, Mark Cuban said during the pandemic or even post pandemic and during one of the questions you're going to get asked in interviews what did you do during the pandemic or what are you currently doing? And that matters. Yes. Right. Um, and just, I like to put skills into practice. So for me, this is to stay busy, stay active and also build a personal brand. Unselfishly, I want to interview folks, meet new people and help my boy James out. You know, James is the, the founder and, you know, it just makes sense for him and I to collaborate and for me to do this for him. So I'm helping him and then the LinkedIn community that I'm a part of, um, such as Rev Genius and things of that nature. So, but I, 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 I'm, a, I'm just honest with people. I have a selfish reason for doing something, but I also have an unselfish. So it's not just, I think some people, when they hear, oh, I'm doing this for me, they may be like, oh, no, but you should want to help people. I do want to help people, but I got to help me, too. Because if I can't help, if I'm not helping myself, then what, what is, you got to help yourself. I think the word that, that was most key in what you just said was honesty. It's, it's true honesty with oneself, being self-aware, knowing what is actually going on in the world. And the reality is, what's the best way to be hyper successful. The, the, the best way in, in broad terms is to help as many people as possible. The, the fundamental rule of human psychology is reciprocity. It's one of the first things that we learn 
as babies, as, as tiny little babies, one of the first things we learn is reciprocity. Monkey see, monkey do, right? And if we want to be very successful and have people giving of themselves to us, we want them to give, them, give, give us their attention, their money, their, their consideration, their, their all, all that stuff that we want from other people, the best way to do it is to give that first. And if you give it to a thousand people and a thousand people start giving it back, the most selfish thing you can do to have tons of money, attention, affluence, is to give as many people as you possibly can as much value as you possibly can. Of course it's selfish. That's how you live the best life possible, by giving everyone else the best life possible. But to suggest that that is untrue or to not recognize that is the truth of how our society works, you're, at, you're the, actually being dishonest by not recognizing it. So to suggest exactly. that, honesty, yes, everything has selfish intent, but not in a negative way. We exactly. have to take care of ourselves. Otherwise, we can't take care of other people. We have to be in a position of strength. We have to be in a position of ability. Otherwise, I mean, the army teaches this all the time. You have to be physically fit, not just for yourself, but for those around you. If you can't pick up your battle buddy, if he's injured, if you can't pick him up and carry him off the battlefield, you are a bad soldier. It's not just for you that you're physically fit. Everyone around you is going to benefit from you being physically fit. I just use the uh, uh, army analogy because uh, that's often expressed as for the greater good, you must be the best you can possibly be. And that's, that's, yeah. that's life. That's life. Welcome to it. Yeah. Well, yeah, be selfish. Go get some. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the hot moment. Um, the moment we've all been waiting for. We've been um, waiting for something? Business is personal is a, the question I always ask everyone because you know there's a term people say oh it's just business and usually when they say that it's because one reason or another but i believe business is personal um so when you hear that business is personal what does that mean to you mm, i like what you said right away uh when people say hey it's just business like you're, <laughs> what they're doing is they're detaching themselves from it they're they're, they're trying to say it's impersonal they're trying to say Hey, it's business. This has nothing to do with my intentions. It has nothing to do with my beliefs or core morality. It's just business. It's not me. <laughs> so you're right. That, that is a fantastic, it's a detachment. Um, well, I guess there's two things that I would say. One, in our culture today, it isn't personal. And that's why a lot of business is scary. That's why a lot of people are, uh, are detached from it. That's why a lot of people don't feel good about going to work. I don't know what the number is. I'm sure people are just pulling statistics out of, their, uh, out of, the, out of a hat when they say this, but they're like, you know, somewhere between, somewhere between 60 and 90% of people don't like going to where they work. They may not hate it. They may not be miserable to, to depression, but they just don't like it. They wish they were doing something else. And part of that is because business isn't personal. That's the way it is. It's just we've detached ourselves from making life integral to money and business and, and transactory, uh, uh, well, business. <laughs> business, <laughs> once again, great Peter Drucker, is other people's money. And there are, there are three things we don't talk about in polite company. Politics, religion. See what I did there? <laughs> you don't even yeah. say that. It's money. It's, it's, and, so I would suggest that. Um, business isn't personal in today's world, but I think what you're leaning towards is it, should it be, is it beneficial that it would be? And I think that it is. 
I think if we make business personal, in other words, we identify ourselves, we identify ourselves with a business, with uh, working, whether it's your business, an entrepreneurial enterprise, or whether it's someone else's business and you want to help that person become a part of it. You want to feel good about helping someone else in their endeavor. You're making your life a part of theirs. I think some of the best companies that are out there where the owners are inviting their employees to their house for Christmas and and for, for Thanksgiving and parties and just, hey, th- we're a family, that kind of thing, but, but a legit family, not like... Right. Welcome to the Paychecks family. It's like, you're not my family. Like, you're not inviting me to your house to meet your kids. Uh, but there are companies that do that. And some of them are rather gigantic. Like, there's companies with five, ten thousand 10,000 employees where the ownership, the people that, are, that, are, that started that business literally shake hands, go to every single employee's house to say, Thank you so much for helping my dream come true. I hope I, be- I can help your dreams come true by giving you a job. And that job no longer becomes just a drudgery. It becomes a personal relationship with that business owner, with the business itself. You care about it. You don't want people to talk crap about the business you work for because it is now personal. You're attached to it. And that causes pride in what you're doing. It it allows you to take that step that we were talking about 20 minutes ago of, I think this is best for the company. And I'm going to take this step because I care. And I know the management and the ownership cares about me. And they know if I take an action, it's in the best interest of the company. And even if it failed, they knew I was trying to do the right thing. And that's what I think business is personal. It should be personal. It should be part of your identity. It should be a part of how you look at the world, how you are contributing to the human condition. If you look at business and, and quote unquote work or a job, quote unquote, as just this eight to 10 hour thing a day that you do so you can pay the bills, but then you want to get back to real life, which is your shows, your bowling, your golf, your, you know, your hunting, whatever it is. And mm-hmm. that's your life. But, but 60 hours a week, you're doing not life. That, that's craziness to me. They should be integrated. One, it's contributing to the human condition and altering people's lives by offering a product or a service. Business is and should be personal because you're touching other people's lives. That business is touching your life. To detach yourself from it is a huge source of corporate gloom, depression, discomfort. Uh, I can't emphasize enough how business must be personal, whether it's yours or somebody else's. Yeah. You know, number one, I, I respect everything you just said, because you're the first person to really speak on the fact that in a lot of cases, business is not personal. Most cases it's not. And that's the raw, that's, that's, that's the, that's truth, you know? Um, and the fact is it should be personal so that, like you mentioned, if a employee feels connected, Cause it's like, we, we have these little pockets of life. Like, okay, work is a section, a category, a hat that you put on and yes. they take it off when they get home. And then, you know, but life should be one, Yeah. you know, versus all these different pockets. And, you know, um, and that way people would have more purpose. They would have more focus. They would have more connection. And if, CEOs are connected to the employees and employees are connected to the management and management are connected to the whole thing. Customers are connected. You know, it's just, it's only going to result in more money in the long run. Um, so there's no, it's a win-win. 
as business is personal. It is a win-win, but uh, as you're familiar, I'm sure you're familiar with the hoaxery that's out there. A lot of people pushing the rhetoric that uh, uh, capitalism, there's a lot of anti-capitalism rhetoric right now, especially with the likes of like Bernie Sanders from his, his campaigns and stuff like that. Um, and there's an idea, there's a lot of hoaxery out there being pushed that capitalism is meant to control the small person, the little guy, the, the single, by compartmentalizing their life. We compartmentalize everything in the United States. Your faith, your religion is over here. Go to church on Sundays. You don't bring that up at work. You don't talk, talk about it at, at parties. That's, that's your stuff. Keep that religion stuff over there with your religious stuff. <laughs> work, that's over there. We don't bring work to the bar. We don't bring work to the picnic. We don't bring work out to the, out to the, to the mud hole or whatever, whatever you do for fun. We don't bring work there. And, and your, your personal life, we don't, we don't bring that to, to church. We, we, we don't. People don't do that. You'd think you would, but no, 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 no. You want to keep it cursory. You want to keep a cur- Hey, if you got, a, you got beef, you talk to the pastor or elder or priest or whatever in, in closed doors over there. Keep it away from the congregation. Keep that away from work. We compartmentalize everything. And that prevents people from having a homogenous, uh, homogenous and harmonious life. But I mean, my phone is in my pocket right now. If somebody wants to call me, if a customer wants to call me or a potential client wants to call me at 1130 at night while I'm playing video games, it's business <laughs> time and video game time. Dude, I will be in the middle of post-apocalyptic playing Fallout 4 while selling a roof. Like, it's part of life. And that compartmentalization is... is in my case, I'll be playing 2K. But. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Whatever it is, Fortnite, Civilization Six, and uh, that compartmentalization makes it very easy. It's it truly is psychologically divide and conquer. It's literally divide, so you can't have a harmonious situation, and then conquer. It keeps people separated. Even companies, there are companies out there which I find heinously organized because salespeople will literally get fired on the spot if they are caught talking to the marketing people. What? That's ridiculous. And what they're trying to do is control the salespeople. If the salespeople start talking to the marketing people, the marketing people are going to start talking to the salespeople, and they're going to find out the disparities between like how much they get paid, how much they get paid. The canvassers are getting paid 300 bucks a week with pathetic bonuses, and the salespeople are getting massive commissions. And where's the disparity? Oh, that's because the manager, like, they don't, you will get fired immediately if they discover you are talking cross uh, department. What kind of what kind of asinine structure is that? That's, that's, it, that's what causes depression. That's what causes hatred. That's what causes division. That's what causes fear and ignorance. That is what happens in our own minds when we, when we make things impersonal and we separate things. Oh, we can't have my religion talking to my business. We can't have my buddies who, who I go hunting with talking to my religion. We can't have my spouse talking to my work buddy. No, we, we got to keep it compartmentalized. No, everything should be integrated. If you are a man of faith, Freaking tell people you're a man of faith on your business page. If you're a person who likes to hunt, let people know you like to hunt while you're at work, while you're at church, while you're talking to your spouse. You are who you are. Exactly. That's my belief. Exactly. Well, Chris, this was an awesome, awesome episode. Appreciate you coming on the show. I have that Um, (laughs) (laughs) If people wanted to contact you or any final words, uh, yeah, chrislaforest.com is my speaking training and coaching page. That's Chris, C-H-R-I-S-L-A-F, 
as in Frank, O-R-E-S-T, chrislaforest.com is my speaking training and coaching page. You can also find me, uh, send me an email, chrislaforesttalks at gmail.com is my email. And I just started getting on social media very recently. I'm actually late to the game. I was trained old <laughs> on how to get sales. Um, like, so I'm definitely a door knocker. I will call random phone numbers to get business and I will knock that door down and I will persist for months and I'll get a deal and I'll get a contract. Um, and, and that's how I do business. So I'm actually late in the game to social media. So I just started uh, being active on Facebook, just started my YouTube channel, which is still not uh, organized per se, but if you want to check me out, uh, just Chris LaForest YouTube. And it's uh, me talking about random stuff and things right now, but it's going to get more as I, as I practice uh, and get more iterations, it'll happen. But uh, check me out. I'd love to talk to anybody who wishes to reach out to me. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show, Chris. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to share their stories on their lunch breaks. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a rating, share on social media, and make sure you come back for more episodes on Season 4 of the Lunch Break Podcast, where business is personal.